three and two, what the Wolves going to do. The Coach and the Culture podcast is back in effect, as we promised. Regular Sunday recordings, consistency is the key. Closed circuit to the Wolves, consistency is the key. I am Coach Frank in the spot, being joined by none other than the owner, proprietor of Yes Trees, Mr. Lance Gardner. What's happening, Lance? Man, it feels good to be back. It's been probably about a month since I've done anything with you, and the Wolves are playing, and I'm excited. I'm ready to start uh, getting back in here consistently with you um, because that definitely is the key, not just to this, but all things in life. So um, I'm excited to talk about them. I haven't got to watch every moment of every game, um, but I know you have, and so um, today I want to ask questions uh, because I know you've been watching. My man, well, I tell you what. One, I'm glad that you are back in effect. I know you've been working hard when you own your own business. Sometimes you just have to prioritize, and mm-hmm. this is our fun. This is our play place. Uh, but I know the listeners are so tired of me talking to myself for an hour. <laughs> I know they are over it. Like, if I have to listen to that man's voice for an hour plus straight one more time. <laughs> I'm sure they're getting nuggets when they are, though. It's, it's worth it because they probably keep coming back. So I'm here to help, but, you know, I, I think it's – you're all right. You know, I got a great compliment from um, another local podcaster. I'm not going to say who really popular podcaster, though, who I appreciate um, his work. I, I'm as loyal to tell you, I'm always shouting out the local podcasters. Mm-hmm. I think there's always something to gain from listening to all the Timberwolves podcasts. If you're a true fan, everybody brings information from a different perspective. But I got a great compliment from a local podcaster who told me flat out that he learns a little something new every time. He listens to me, and I didn't even know he listened to me. Yep. So I, I was, uh, you know, I felt really good about that because that's why I'm here. I'm trying to provide perspective from, you know, to the fans from somebody who, although I didn't play in the NBA and I haven't coached in the NBA, I've been a basketball lifer. You know, I grew up, you know, your grandfather, my pops was, you know, one of the premier basketball players at the high school level in Minnesota, and they went on to play for the U of M. And, you know, I've been around it. All my life, you've been around it all your life, and I've been coaching for over 20 years. And, you know, one of the things that was very validating for me was one time I'm sitting in a coffee shop. I'm over at Cup, Cup of Java over in North Minneapolis, well, over in Bryn Mawr, And I happened to be talking to a good friend of mine who also played college ball. And Cheryl Reeves, the coach of the Lynx, mm-hmm. was uh, sitting up at the counter sipping her coffee and reading something. And, and I think it's been made very clear on this podcast You're my my appreciation and admiration for Cheryl Reeves and um she overheard our conversation and next thing you know her and I are after my friend left her and I are talking basketball for about an hour yeah I know you and, love that yeah and a lot of the stuff that she overheard us talking about about coaching we were talking about coaching mm-hmm. right and actually how coaching is teaching even at the highest levels right coaching the actual coaching part is th- those little in-game decisions or those end-of-game decisions that you make where your team has put you in a position as a coach where you can try to out-strategize your yep. opponent on the other side. But the rest of it is all teaching, yep. right? And uh, so Cheryl and I got to talking about that, and she just really validated a lot of my philosophy about what translates from coaching, whether you're coaching, you know, uh, middle schoolers or whether you're coaching pros, right? Yep. And obviously there's a lot of things that are different in terms of the stakes, um, the psychology, dealing with adults versus dealing with kids, 
how you have to go about people management and things like that. The fact that the pros are making millions and millions of dollars and middle schoolers are dreaming of learning how to dump. (laughs) But the teaching aspect and what you're trying to accomplish never changes. And so I was really appreciative of the fact that somebody who really studies the Timberwolves and follows the Timberwolves and, you know, that's their job, um, was able to say to me, you know, I learned something when I listened to your podcast and that was, that was really uh, validating. So I hope, I hope the listening audience feels the same way. Uh, before we go any further, we got Lloyd Leon Coop in the building. And in case you hadn't noticed, we are live on location at none other than the Dream Shop, 3701 Fremont, Fremont Avenue North, a wonderful boutique that specializes in African-American uh, crafts and books and other products. Uh, this is our first time on location at the Dream Shop. We are hoping this will be our Coach in the Culture podcast home. It is beautiful. It's elegant. We got lights. We got candles. We have an amazing decor. Good vibes only on the wall up there. The boutique is in the front area. Just beautiful African, African-American artwork. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, yeah. I, I walked in and since I had a little extra time, um, <laughs> shots fired. Shots fired. <laughs> I, uh, I, I ended up buying three things that I had no idea that I needed, but, um, right. I did. And so, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in there and, um, I highly recommend you come check it out. Cause, uh, like I said, I, I had no idea I was going to end up buying something out of here, but I sure did. Yeah, man. I'm hoping this can be home. It just feel good. Right. Mm-hmm. It just feels nice. It, it just feels like, you know, yep. It feels like a spot that that uh, is meant to do a basketball podcast. Eventually, we're gonna have to put some little basketball stuff on the background just for the podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, the owner's son is a high school basketball player, mm-hmm. so you know we're gonna basketball it up a little bit as we come in here going forward. But uh, the Dream Shop is now our coaching the culture recording location, which means. We get a chance to do video, get our YouTube game tight. Mm-hmm. We got uh, Lloyd Leon Coop behind the camera and behind the sound. And because we are on location, he can't start snoring over there on us. <laughs> he got to stay away. You know, when we're on Zoom, he can drift off, especially when I'm talking to myself. Man, <laughs> man, I can only imagine. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> we, we've had our moments. <laughs> But the Timberwolves are three and two, the hometown team. And, uh, you know, it's funny how the NBA season can go. And no matter how much ourselves and other podcasters have tried to warn the fans that this is going to be a season journey, that it is best if you try to follow the Chris, Chris Finch model and stay even keel, don't get too high, don't get too low. Don't overreact to too many things that may happen because from week to week, there's going to be a lot of change and there's going to be a lot of change in the standings. The team is going to look really good matched up against certain teams. They're going to look not so good matched up against other teams. Um, but here we are, they've already gone from, you know, one and two and at the bottom of the West, three and two and, you know, tied with a billion other teams and looking real good too while doing it. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to definitely get into that because, you know, a couple of uh, the Atlanta second half debacle, notwithstanding, 
and the Toronto lesson, the parental lesson mm-hmm. that I'll call it, that was the Toronto game notwithstanding. Um, they're not just winning games, but they're blowing people out. Yeah, and it starts with their defense. Absolutely. Their defense has been phenomenal. And we that's, you know, with all their length and, and size and what they were showing towards the end of last year, um, I felt and I think we all felt that that was going to have to be their staple. And it should be their staple because that team with the length that they have and the couple defenders um, that can lock down, you know, superstar caliber ball players um, that needed to be a staple for them. And I think it really has been to start the year. The offense has been, you know, up and down, but their defense, you know, except for the half in Atlanta, really the whole game, but Atlanta was just on fire. And as you were stating, they've been on fire this whole start of the year. So that, you know, can't say a whole lot about that, but um, their defense has been outstanding. Yeah, I, I would agree. Then, well, I mean, the numbers bear it out. They're number one in the league in, in defense right now in defensive rating. I believe they're number one in the league in defensive efficiency. I can double check those numbers, but yeah, number one in the league in opponents points per game, and number one in the league in defensive rating. Mm-hmm. Um, still twenty first on offense in points per game, uh, and fourteenth on offense and offensive rating. And I think, you know, the last the last couple games have have kind of boosted yeah. that up a little bit. And you can see it coming. One of the things we're going to talk about on the podcast today is you can see that identity developing. But you bring up the defense and not to toot our own horn, but I do believe it was an August episode. You can go to our archives and look at an August episode. And I believe the title of the episode was Defense, Defense, Defense. Mm-hmm. And our conversation was about how um, both the continuity that they're bringing back and their free agent signings, who they kept and who they let go of was, uh, and who they brought in was all about having a team that was buying into or committed to from the front office perspective of defense is going to be their identity. Yeah. And Chris Finch has talked about it on a couple of different interviews uh, before the season during training camp and since the season has started that – what did we talk about? Again, not to toot our own horn, but you can go all the way back to uh, May mm-hmm. in the playoffs, I believe it was, or April, when we have an episode called Styles Make Fits in yeah. parentheses and fights. And we talked about the Wolves have not def- found their winning style mm-hmm. yet. And, um, and Chris Finch just talked about how last season they never really did create an identity and how last season they kept having to pivot and kind of find ways to play from night to night that would allow them to win versus having this is our style and you're going to have to beat us while we play our style. Mm-hmm. And we talked about how if they can find their winning style because of the personnel that they have, it can be problematic for teams around the league. Mm-hmm. So what you're seeing right now is stuff that we've been talking about on this podcast going back to last April um, in the Denver playoff series. And so I implore our listeners, if you're a first-time listener or new to our podcast, go through our archives, listen to some of our podcasts going back to last spring especially, um, and then uh, measure that up against what you're seeing from the Wolves now and what you're hearing from Chris Finch now because I think we've been spot on. Yeah. Uh, since really the playoffs last season and before the playoffs last season. And you're starting to see their style take shape. 
You're starting to see not only the defensive identity take shape, but you're starting to see what they want to accomplish on offense start to take shape. And guys aren't even knocking down shots yet. I mean, Ant's been on fire from from three, and we know Ant's going to score points whether he has to take a bunch of shots to get them or whether he's having an efficient night, which he's had a couple of efficient nights now in a row. Um, And we know Cat is not going to shoot, you know, 27% from three and 39% from the field forever. He's never been that player uh, in high school, college, or the pros. And so you know as he gets comfortable in this style, it's just a matter of time. Um, you know, we Rudy's actually shooting, I'd say, damn near career low efficiency mm-hmm. right now. We know that's not going to last because, as Chris Finch likes to say, players generally return to, you know, their averages. Um, and, and then Jaden McDaniels has only played two games, and I don't know if – I think the first two games he was on a minutes restriction. The last game he just decided he was going to do a lot of hacking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, six fouls in like what twelve minutes? Even the man, I didn't even think it was that many. Um, yeah, no, and they, you know, as they figure out that that style offensively, um, that defense keeps you in games. It gets you those wins early in the year when you know you're still trying to figure out who's going where and who's doing what on a on a every night basis um but if you if you have that defensive backbone you know you're going to win games 101 to 97 you're going to win low scoring games and you're going to give yourselves a chance yes and and you know even having said that the games they won they, they it's not like they've only scored 100 points in the games they won they're right. not just winning they've been blowing people out the water the last yeah the last last Couple games they have, and I mean the three games they've won were blowouts. Yep, they lost the close one to Toronto, in which you know we're going to talk. We talked a little bit about it on the last podcast, and we might make mention to it in reference to kind of how they've played um, offensively since, with the exception of, of course, the second half against Atlanta, which offensively looked a lot like the two halves against Toronto, right? but other than that, they're putting up points. They are. But you can still see, I guess where I'm going with that is you can still see that it's not full, it's not clicked yet, right? right? So clicked. so even though they're still putting up points, you're still watching the game and you're like, there could be so much more. Like, I know there's so much more here. It still is not gelling the way that they needed to, but because their defense is so good, it's giving them extra possessions. It's giving them opportunities to score more points outside of their what what they're capable of doing in a flow yeah and and save the utah game not only are they defending well but they've been handling the backboards mm-hmm. and you know because of that they're able to take advantage of their defense and they and they still have to get better at getting those long rebounds it still blows me away that professional players cannot figure out that if somebody takes a 25 foot shot or a 27 foot shot the rebound is not going to come down in the restricted area. It's going to come down somewhere between the free throw line and the restricted area, if not even further. And I'm still just flabbergasted at how many times the ball bounces right over their head after somebody takes a long contested three. But I will say this because I have uh, been on this horse for over a year now about Jaden McDaniels and his rebounding. The game against um Denver Mm -hmm. he has nine rebounds in 21 minutes and they win the rebounding battle pretty handed against Denver 
They got waxed offensive rebound-wise against Utah. Guess how many rebounds Jaden McDaniel had in this 20 minutes? Two. Zero. Even better. Zero. Big, fat goose egg. So if, and, and they still had more overall rebounds. Mm-hmm. But I think they gave up 17 offensive rebounds that game and somewhere around 27, 28 second chance points, which is just – and that's a game in which you win by, you know, right. 20, 20, 30 almost. A blowout win. So imagine what it looks like if Jaden McDaniels doesn't hack Lori Market in, you know, six times in 20 minutes right. and get zero rebounds. Yep. You know, now on the flip side – we talked about it last year um, when we were still the coach in the Crooner podcast that Kyle Anderson was Jaden McDaniel's insurance. And there's been a lot of talk about will Kyle Anderson be as effective at the three spot. I think we can put that talk to bed. You know, Kyle Anderson, who I've always said is going to be effective wherever, no matter where he's Wherever you put him. Yeah. Doesn't matter where you play him. And you can look at the metrics and say, you know, in Memphis, his numbers at the four were exponentially better than his numbers at the three. And it's it all about the who's around him. It's all about who you play with. Throw those metrics out of the window. Mm-hmm. He wasn't playing with Rudy in Memphis, and he wasn't playing with Cat in Memphis. Yeah. Or he wasn't playing with Nod. You're right. So um, the reality is with this team, it doesn't matter where you put Kyle Anderson, he's going to be effective. Mm-hmm. And so Jaden McDaniels is in foul trouble. You need Link to continue to guard Larry Marketing. So you stick Kyle Anderson out there, and he's, you know, Kyle's had a phenomenal start to the season. Phenomenal start. Um, so And look, you, you know, as a, as a fan, we get so caught up in what's not going right for whatever reason. Um, but if you look at the start of last year, I think the start of this year is exponentially better. Oh yes. I mean, you're the the game against Utah, it looked to me like the Wolves were a better team. They went in, they played that way, and they took care of business. Now obviously there's things that they can you know do better with, but it felt like they were the better team and you know, when you watch I don't even know the when you watch I don't want to use the Warriors because it's been a couple of years, but um, they're doing okay right now. <laughs> when you watch the Warriors play the Jazz two years ago, mm-hmm. possibly today, you expect them to go in there and win by 15 or more points, yes. take care of business. It's not one of them, you know, oh, it's, a, it's a, a learning lesson for us or or we just didn't show up tonight. Like, they, those are expected wins. And I felt that that's what the Wolves did against the Jazz is they had an expected win and they went and took care of business. And that, to me, that's growth. Absolutely. And, you know, you bring that up because in the second quarter, Utah was on fire. Larry Markinette was on fire. He mm-hmm. was getting buckets. Deontay George hit a three. You know, like they, they were getting buckets in the second quarter for a stretch. And I, wanna, I want to uh, do a contrast with that in the Atlanta game because mm-hmm. um, in the Atlanta game was – in my opinion, the Wolves' worst defensive effort of the season. And it looks like that in the final score, even though they were up 20 mm-hmm. at the end of the first half, um, there's some contrast between the Utah game and the Atlanta game in terms of the mentality that the Wolves played with. Yes, they were up 20 at the end of the first half because everything they threw up was going in. Mm-hmm. They still they still gave up 60 points, mm-hmm. you know, I think the score at half was like 70, 
eight to fifty nine or something like that. So you still gave up sixty yep. points and a half, right? It wasn't like you were getting stops against Atlanta. They got some stops in the second quarter, which is why they were able to stretch the lead out mm-hmm. to as big as it was. But it was never a performance that felt comfortable. And I know people listening are going to say, oh, well, this is easy to say in hindsight. But when they went into the locker room after Kyle Anderson missed that finger roll when he should have gave the ball up to Mike Conley, who was up ahead, Mm -hmm. and he missed that finger roll. And I watched how they were so laughing and joking and jovial going into the locker room. And I said, Atlanta's going to come back in this game. Now, I could not have predicted that they were going to um, win, come back and win <laughs> by 20. Right. right, by 20 on top of that, yeah. But um, could see the comeback coming mm-hmm. because I could see that they went into the locker room with the wrong attitude. It, and you would think they would know better, right, because it's an NBA game. So being up 19 at half means nothing in an NBA game. They went into the locker room with such the wrong attitude that that lead was gone by the end of the third quarter. Yeah, I, I, I'm not surprised that they had that attitude because I think that the leader of this team, attitude-wise and energy-wise, is 22, 22 years old. Right, right. So <laughs> right. He, was at, he was back home. He had a whole summer of being in L. Well, not a whole summer because he was in Minnesota. He was but here he spent. He went down there, was doing his Adidas stuff, getting his you know acknowledgement. His and mural. so he's you know playing at home and and all fire in the first half. Right, so he's not always good for the Wolves. Right, <laughs> so he's having a grand old time, and I I could just tell you know it was it was good to see his energy high, but. There was no at no point did they say, okay, we got to take this seriously now. And that's exactly what you're talking about. So the second half, and it started with him the same way that the energy was high the first half and everybody was smiles and having a great time. Second half came out. Atlanta's like, okay, like, was we not about to allow this because we're at home and we're going to come and play basketball. You're not going to embarrass us on our home floor. Exactly. And And on top of that, if you're Atlanta, you're thinking, we're getting whatever we want offensively. Yeah. So let's go ahead and buckle down on the defensive end, put some pressure on this team that has a history of blowing leads, and let's see if they don't get tight and yeah. fold. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. Yep. And, and it, it started with Ant's defense. So, yes, he's the 100%. catalyst, and he came out and was getting blown by left and right. I'm like, what do you got going on? And so now the whole team is watching this, and, again, he's set the tone in the first half. He set it in the second half, and then – that's exactly what happened. They got tight, right? They they started seeing that lead dwindle, and they said, oh, snap, we better lock back in. We're playing basketball. Can't do and it. At that point, you're playing against professional players, and Atlanta, like you said earlier, off um, off cast was their first or second, I think, in points per game. And I, I think right now they're second in offensive rating. Yeah. In the I, league. They're averaging like 118, I think, points a game. So they're getting buckets. Yeah. Once once the Wolves felt that slip, they got tight, Atlanta loosened up, and the rest was history. I mean, DeMar DeRozan went nuts. Mm-hmm. I mean, he went nuts. I think he had 22 points in the third quarter. De- DeRozan or? I mean, I'm sorry. Um, DeJounte Murray. Yeah. DeJounte Say, Murray. When did Thank that you. become? Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. DeJounte. The D's got me confused. Right. DeMar, DeJounte. Um, and, and, but wasn't Ant guarding him? He was guarding him and for part of it, for part of it. I was surprised that that Chris Finch never really did put Jaden on him. He kept Jaden on um, 
um, point guard. Why am I drawing a blank? Um, Trey. Yeah. On Trey Young. Yeah. And, and I was surprised that he never did. But we're going to talk a little bit about Chris Finch and his approach right now, early season to coaching. Um, I'm glad that you brought up, though, that it was really Ant um, both ways, right? Because Ant was so hyper-focused on scoring and his shot was falling and he was feeling good in the first half. They didn't play much defense in the first half. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he played even less defense in the second half. And I have been cautiously but will, willingly critical of Ant when I see things that are red flags to me, I've long since said that Ant hasn't won anything in basketball yet, including this summer, not even winning a medal with the Team USA. Um, he didn't win in college. Um, his Georgia team sucked, <laughs> you know, for as phenomenal of a one season that he had there. Mm-hmm. Um, he did go the path less traveled and not join a quote-unquote super high school team. And so he was kind of a one-man band in high school. Um, so I've brought up the fact that Ant hasn't won anything at basketball yet. Um, and I've said that he doesn't have that mentality yet, which does not mean he's not a dog. It doesn't mean he's not determined. It doesn't mean he doesn't know how to shine when the lights are on. It means that winning is a skill. It's an acquired skill. It is a mental skill more than a physical skill. And you have to learn that skill. And Ant hasn't learned that skill yet. He's learning that skill. But he hasn't learned that skill yet. And I would venture to say that except for when he just has superior talent all the way around, Cat hasn't learned that skill yet. And that showed in the national semifinals with Kentucky when he went up against a team that won with precision over talent. And they lost for the first time that whole season when it mattered the most. And so, um, I I feel like that skill that you're talking about is consistency. Consistency, consistency, but it's also playing five on five. It's learning how to utilize the players around you in a way that is most conducive for winning. And how do you learn how to utilize a cat or a Rudy Gobert when you've never in your life played with a dominant big man. That's going to take time. How do you learn how to utilize that skill when you've never in your life played with a chess match game managing point guard like Mike Conley? So a lot of what Ant is going through is learning how to create winning without having to take on the mentality of if we don't win, it's all on me. And if we win, it's all on me because that's been his basketball life up until he's got to the NBA. It's been Ant 105 against the world. And that's not a switch that you can easily flip on or off. You know, when that's been your habitual experience in basketball. So I agree that consistency is a part of it. But as you very well know, as a former player, when it's all on you all the time, it's mm-hmm. impossible to be that guy all the time. Mm-hmm. Even Michael Jordan discovered that, you know, and so learning how to utilize what you have with you is a process, you know. And so when I say Ant doesn't have the winning mentality yet, it's not that he doesn't have the desire or the it factor or the determination. It's the knowledge. 
It's the wisdom. Mm. You know, that's what makes LeBron so ridiculously phenomenal is because Michael Jordan could learn it from Dean Smith. He had Dean Smith to teach him. Magic Johnson had Judd Heathcote to teach him. You know, who taught LeBron? LeBron had it figured out before he left high school and then learned how to translate it to the NBA mm-hmm. with no college learning and really no Phil Jackson, no Dean Smith, you know. So Ant is learning, and I think that's why the relationship between he and Chris Finch, and I want to talk about Chris Finch in a little bit, is so important because what people forget about Chris Finch is when he went over to Europe, he won a championship. When he coached the Houston G League affiliate, he won the G League championship. I don't question whether or not Chris Finch knows how to win a championship. He got the trophies on his mantle. Mm-hmm. So Ant can absolutely learn from Chris Finch how to win a championship. Do you feel like um, when, I, when, I, when, I, when I say consistency, I, I see when Ant has that, he is, he is extremely gifted and talented. Mm-hmm. When he has that dog mentality, I feel like there's a difference watching him play. I feel like when he's locked in on the defensive end, when he's his rebounding has gone up this year, so that's positive. I think it's honestly, I I think it's watching Ant play defense. Mm-hmm. When he is locked in on the defensive end, I feel like everybody feeds off of that. And maybe so that when I say consistency, I mean buying into the defensive end of the game. Every game. That's is there, learning how to win. Do you see a switch, though? Like, do you see when he's locked in in that time and when he's kind of drifting? Oh, there's no question. You could see it in the Utah game when he decided that he was going – when he decided he had enough of Taylor uh, – of Horton Tucker. Taylor Horton, Taylor Tucker. Horton Tucker. Yeah, Taylor Horton Tucker. <laughs> when he decided he had enough of this dude, he put the clamps down. So that's what I mean by consistency. That right there, determined deciding that every game. That's and that, and I agree with you. But you're talking about consistency and doing the things that create winning, right? And understanding how winning is impacted by more than going to get buckets. Mm-hmm. And in his basketball life, winning has been synonymous with. I got to go get buckets. And now he's learning that winning at the NBA level is synonymous with all of the little things. And he's 22 years old, right? And he's been playing great basketball. He's having to learn that winning at a high level is synonymous with emotional control, Mm. with being able to be on the floor for my team, right? With playing a role, right? And Jaden's got, I think, a less difficult job than Ant in terms of Jaden's role is the little things that mm-hmm. impact winning. When Jaden understands that if I go get seven to ten rebounds a game, we're probably going to win. Period. Because all the other stuff is automatic for him. When Ant understands that when the ball moves enough. When the ball and the body moves enough that Jaden gets 10 to 13 shots a game, we're probably going to win. We're probably going to win. 
you know? And so those are the things that I think when you're talking about consistency, it's consistency in winning habits. And what happened in the second half of the Atlanta game was everything was easy. And because everything was easy, Ant came out feeling good. And you're right, didn't play defense. And one of the things that um, Ant has to work at and get better at is screen navigation. And it's not that he's not capable. Ant's bad at screen navigation because Ant's always thinking steal. So he's not playing the body of the player to get position. He's locking in on the ball, trying to time the ball, and he's flat-footed trying to time the steal, and then the screener gets a really good solid screen angle on him. And it's not because Ant can't push up and force a bad screen angle, force the ball handler to go backwards, create like Jaden is so good at, create space to slide on top or create a skinny gap to slide underneath where you can still contest a three. Ant gets screened because Ant's flat-footed when the screen comes because Ant is timing the dribble, and he's trying to get that steal so he can go get that dunk. If he's playing with that mindset. But when he switches and he's in that, he doesn't get screened. He does everything. He doesn't get screened. The man does everything. He does everything. When when Ant is locked in and, and he's got that tunnel vision on, Nothing else is like I'm on the court right now, and I don't care about scoring. All I care about is I'm I'm full in playing basketball right now. He can do anything. So what you're saying is, if Ant didn't want to, uh, 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 Dejounte Murray to get 22 and a half, Dejounte Murray doesn't get 22 and a half. Look, all I know <laughs> is that it seemed to me like he was getting blown by time and time again. He but what, but I've seen him focus defense. I've seen him guard anybody with the best. And I know it's asking a lot. I mean, you're basically asking the man to be perfect and to never slip up. Um, but that's how great he is, right? Like we're we're looking at these minuscule things when he's shooting 53% from the field and 50% from um, three, but we're talking about championship stuff as well. So this is stuff that, yeah, his his numbers may be good, but what gets him to that next level? And he's gone up in every every statistical category since the moment he's walked into the league over the last three years. Now we're sitting here talking about the last. You know he can still grow statistically and he can still get better. Five game. But what's the what's that next level to get him to lead this team? Because we're only going to go as far as he takes us mentally to lead this team to get to that championship level. And I think the Atlanta game showed that. You know people on Twitter and. Facebook where, you know, we're going to have to trade cat and cat this and cat that. And I, and I, and I, and I shouted you out on Facebook because it, you know how I think, and you were watching the same game I was watching. And I was like, for all of the bashing of cat, that second half collapse was way more Anthony Edwards than it was Carl Anthony Thomas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, let's stay there. Because one of the things I really want to talk about on this episode is Chris Finch. Mm-hmm. And Chris Finch was catching heat in hell after the Atlanta game. And, you know, it was the same stereotypical trope. So, you know, Chris Finch has got to go because he doesn't know how to use timeouts and he doesn't know how to make defensive adjustments. I mean, offensive adjustments and, you know, 
yada yada. And this has happened too many times where Chris Finch's team led teams have blown big leads. So, you know, I coach mm-hmm. and admittedly, I come to the defense, not that Chris Finch needs my defense, <laughs> but I come to the defense of coaches when I see them doing a really good job. And even though the outcome might not be what fans want or fans are critiquing the job that the coach is doing, my first question, which they never answer on Twitter, is how many of you have coached a high school game let alone youth league, let alone college, let alone pro. If you have not set in the first seat, the first seat from the scores table, coach's chair, if you haven't sat in that seat on a Friday night at 7 p.m. when the lights are on and the fans are in the stands and you are at the wheel of the vehicle, not to say you can't criticize a coach because fans have the right to critique whatever they want. That's mm-hmm. why they are called fans. Mm-hmm. But I really think fans should be careful when they ask someone to lose their livelihood because they disagree with what they think they see from someone who's in a position that they've never, ever been in even at a minor level so let me ask you what are your thoughts on Chris Finch before I go into my tangent well just a quick response to that um if anybody is calling for the head coach after five games when your team is (laughs) (laughs) after five games like and your team is three and two um, now, no, granted, we're calling for his head after three games. After game one, actually, <laughs> after, after the three games, man. really after game one, yeah. So that alone, just like I can't, you know, there's no point in entertaining that. Um, I know, you know, you. That's part of what you do is you go, you know, you you check those and you and you check comments and stuff. But hey, hold that thought. I'm gonna let you get back to it because I got to share this with you. Uh huh. So, I had somebody on Twitter. They, they were on Twitter, and they said, uh, this has happened too many times on Chris Finch's watch. Chris Finch has got to go. And I simply responded, this man is the second winningest coach in Timberwolves history after two full seasons in which he's had four rosters, basically. <laughs> um, and he had been to the playoffs back-to-back years for the first time in dang near two decades. Right, you can't. And you're ready for him to be fired after game three? And this was their response after a little banter. I said what I said. Chris Bibbs got to go, and then they blocked me. That sounds about right. That's the same person that's calling for his head after game one. <laughs> so it all adds up. It so makes it, to this podcast. No, it, no, man. They just want something to talk about. It's, <laughs> it's, and you're there to talk to them about it, so they're going to keep on doing it. Um, but, no, I'm I'm a fan of Chris Finch. I think that it it's extremely hard to even judge or make a – make a decision on him as a coach when you just said he's at four rosters when last year they had so much talent but they were injury prone um this is the first season 
you know, God will same court. Right. And God willing, everyone stays healthy. But I think at the end of this year, I think that he absolutely plays a part in the success or the failure of this team. Um, there's a lot of components that go into it, but I think that if we stay healthy, this will be the first true year that you can look at and say, okay, where have we gone and where have we, you know, where are we now? Um, but personally, like I said earlier, the beginning of this year is already a jump forward from the beginning of last year. I, I think that they look much better. I think that they're more polished. I think that they have a better mindset and attitude towards the game. I think that there's a lot of positive things Um and he's at the head of all of that. So I think they're three and two. I, or I know they're three and two, but, um, you know, the Toronto game, I've heard you say it. I heard the announcer say it, uh, that it was a learning lesson in Chris Finch. And, and he let them, you know, go through that and let them try to figure it out kind of on their own so that, you know, they, they can have that experience and, and he can then say, okay, you guys tried this. This is what the game plan was. Here's the outcome of what happened versus what we were trying to do. And you guys, I just let you have it. And again, it's game one. It's game one of an 82-game season. The Wolves have a lot of hype right now. They're, you know, to start the year, they were, everybody was talking about them and what, you know, what Kat, Rudy, and are going to do. And um, I think they were all excited. And we're three, we're five games in, we're three and two, and, and we have the best defense in the league. So, can you really say that our coach needs to go? Like, how do you come up with what is the answer for that? Well, and I will add to that when the cat, when the Rudy trade was made and all of the pundits and the experts talked about the cat and Rudy trade, not all of them, but most of them, the number one thing they said was, how are they going to be able to play defense? How is, how is this going to work with cat playing the four? How are they going to get stops? They're going to get ran off the floor. Well, through five games, they're not only playing defense, they're the number one defense in the league. In yeah. the league. And quite honestly, the uh, three halves out of ten in which they played pretty bad offense, that directly led to, in one of them specifically, the downfall of their defense, really two of them, because I say the second half against Toronto and the second half against Atlanta, you could very clearly point toward their offensive um, mentality, mainly from their stars, from Mm -hmm. Cat and Ant, as the downfall of their defense. Uh, Because as you very well know, bad shot selection, turnovers, imbalanced floor shot selection, bad shot choice, all of those things, end up leading to bad defense, mm-hmm. right? And that show. Against Utah, when Utah got hot, the Wolves were able to maintain because they were efficient offensively while Utah was just making shots. And I remember watching the game uh, last night, and I just kept saying to myself, just stay the course. Just stay the course. Just keep putting pressure on every offensive possession for Utah. Mm -hmm. Just stay the course on offense. Don't get sloppy. Continue attacking. Continue going to the post-ups. Continue going with the ball movement and the player movement. Continue getting to the foul line. Just don't panic and start going iso hero mode. And just keep 
putting pressure on the shots that Utah's making. Mm-hmm. Because two things are going to happen if you keep putting that pressure on them. One, they're going to start to get mentally fatigued from having to do so much work to get the shots they want. And then when that starts happening, they're going to start missing some of those shots. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, second half, Utah starts missing shots and you start walking away. And I think if any game was indicative of the formula, the Utah game was the formula. Ant goes for an efficient 31. Cat goes for an efficient 25. But more importantly, how they played offense was methodical. It was boring basketball. It really was. And I'm okay with this Wolves team playing boring offensive basketball because boring offensive basketball, minus the excitement that Anthony Edwards provides, Mm -hmm. is good for this team. If they can continue to be boring (laughs) on offense and just methodically wear people down and then make people have to play against them in the half court defensively consistently time after time over the course of four quarters, that's going to wear down most teams. And that comes by Chris Finch. And, And that's, I think that is the identity that Chris Finch has been trying to set, you know, against Toronto, Toronto, let's be honest, Toronto's not going to be an offensive juggernaut. So, in a lot of ways, they played in Toronto's hands by turning the ball over a lot, by taking tough four shots as opposed to being boring. Cat and Ant tried to be exciting. Game one, first game of the season, they want to make a statement. They was trying to go for 30 apiece and put the league on notice. They was trying to make the playoffs in game one, right? And the outcome was what it was. You scored 94 points. It wasn't pretty. And you can say, well, yeah, they just missed a lot of shots. But when you put that type of mental pressure on your offensive shot making, you're going to miss shots. As you very well know, as a player, you make shots when you're relaxed. I don't feel like Cat and Ant were relaxed. And then, therefore, they made the rest of the team tense. Mm-hmm. And you get what you get, right? Then they kind of caught a break playing Miami in game two because Miami decided they weren't going to play their main players. But the first half against Miami was very competitive. It wasn't really until Nas Reed went, you know, buck wild in the second <laughs> half that they pulled away. But what was consistent was their defense. And in the second half of the Miami game, you started to see the formula. They were boring on offense. Mm-hmm. It was exciting because Nas Reed is a fan favorite. They were in Target Center. When Nas Reed gets going, it's going to make Target Center electric. They're going to love it every time Nas Reed get hot, right? So that made it exciting. But what they were doing offensively was boring. You know, right now, I think they're, you know, I can double check the numbers, but I don't think they're very high in pace. You know, Chris Finch, last year, the Wolves, I think, finished the season seventh in pace. Mm-hmm. And right now, they are said they 24th in pace. They are 24th in pace. Mm-hmm. That's some boring ass basketball if you don't love beautiful basketball, right. right? If you don't love beautiful execution basketball, nobody wants to be 24th in pace if you're just trying to be exciting, right? Right. Ant is all the excitement they need by himself. Everybody else, just be boring. Be boring and methodically wear people down, almost Miami Heat style if you want to really want to talk about it, and just be methodical mm-hmm. and just abuse people physically. Chris Finch has talked about if you're going to be a big team, you got to lean into big team stuff and you got to do what big teams do. Well, most big teams ain't exciting. You can go all the way back to, the San Antonio Spurs of David Robinson and Tim Duncan. 
They were boring as hell, which is why nobody liked them, but they found themselves winning championships. And you talk about, you know, adapting or or changing style as a coach. Right. Like people want to talk about Chris Finch and we got to fire Chris Finch. How about a coach that would really love to be able to score 130 points a game, shoot a whole bunch of threes, run up and down, you know, Gerson Rosas, Chris Finch, creating that Houston archetype, right? And now he has completely flipped his identity. He's coaching a team that that's obviously not going to work. He's listed as an offensive guru. He's been voted by NBA executives and coaches as one of the leading offensive minds in the league in the, you know, the coaches and general managers polls. And here he is leading the number one defensive team in the league, 24th in offensive pace. Um, And like I said, boring. Like the the Utah game was only exciting because they were at home. Mm -hmm. But in terms of style of play, that was a methodical drudging. That was, you know, I'm going to use this as a a metaphor, but that was literally bludgeoning somebody with a meat cleaver. (laughs) There was nothing exciting about the slow death that they gave to Utah, except for the fact that it was at Target Center and the Timberwolves won and all Ant does Ant stuff. Yeah. yeah. No, they're, they, they need, that is Chris Finch. And, you know, him changing changing up some stuff from last year to this year. And, I mean, I've I've experienced coaches that don't change anything and they, mm-hmm. that they're set in their ways and that's just, they do what they do. Um, but, I, I'm I'm a fan of Chris Finch, and I, I I just I think that again, if they stay healthy, this is our this is our year to truly see him coach. He yeah. has he has his team of guys that he carried over from the year before, learned about them, dealt with them, worked with them. Now he has them this year, and if they stay healthy, this is the first time in Chris Finch's second most winningest coach in Minnesota Timberwolves history that we can actually see him coach. Yeah, well, he's, he's winning and finding ways to win with everything that's been thrown at him over the past three years. Well, I think I – would, I wouldn't say first time we've seen him coach because I think last year was just an absolutely phenomenal coaching job, all things considered, given the fact that Cat missed 50-plus games, given the fact that you start with D'Angelo Russell, you end with Mike Connolly, given the fact that Rudy Gobert's first year in Minnesota, Kyle Anderson's first year in Minnesota, they're punching each other on the sidelines, Jaden McDaniels is punching walls. <laughs> given all of that, given the fact that Brent Forbes was a complete bust, Jay, Jay, uh, Jalen Noel, we don't know what happened to him. You know, yeah, given you're, you're everything right. last year to finish two games over 500, yeah, was, to play in and make hey, the playoffs, <laughs> I think what he showed is that he's a hell of a manager. Yeah. He's only he's a baseball turner, right? He was a hell of a manager. I don't think he got a chance to coach X's and O's and imprint a style the way that he would like to. I think this is the first year we're getting a chance to see him actually develop a identity with yeah. a team. He's never had a team long enough to develop an identity, so it's always been, what do we got to do to win tonight? What do we got to do to win the next night? What do we got to do to stay afloat? What do we got to do to make the playoffs? How do we not how do we not fall off the cliff? Yeah. And he's walked the edge of the cliff for two <laughs> years, like you know, like a like a like a high wire act with this team of young players. I mean, Man. let's be honest. Last year, Ant twenty one and Jaden twenty two. The year before that, Ant twenty and Jaden twenty one. So you got two players, which we all know the NBA doesn't win young, right? You don't win young in the NBA unless you got Victor mm-hmm. Wembanyama. <laughs> but you've got two players in this starting lineup that are you know essentially players you don't win with age-wise in the NBA. So I think we've seen him manage 
now we're getting a chance to see him develop a team over the long haul. Like you said, God, God willing, they stay healthy. Yeah. And so anybody who's asking for Chris Finch's head has clearly never coached high schoolers. And everybody who's like, you know, well, how does he keep losing big leads? Again, you already talked about Ant, right? And, and Ant's volatility in terms of his mental approach. Well, when your leader is 22 years old or 21 years old or 20 years old, that's how you lose a lot of big leads. And and, and you your know, co-leader being extremely emotional. Right, exactly. And then the other one, right, the other one, like, the other one just deciding, you know what, Jamal Murray, you pushed me and the refs didn't see it, so I'm not going to be slick. I'm not going to be veteran. I'm just going to shove you in the back and try to give you whiplash because I'm mad at you right yeah. now. So Thank you for calling that out with Chris Finch because it, I I say this is the first year we get to see him coach, but what he did last year was very impressive in it, uh, in and of itself. So um, thank you for giving him that credit. And, and I, like you said, managing this year, I feel like we get to see what he's capable of with his with his team. I agree, and 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 even if it's not a team that is built the way that he maybe prefers, that's in his DNA to prefer to play. As a coach, look, give me a bunch of all stars. I'll figure it out. I don't care what their makeup is. I'll take that over a my a, team. Oh yeah, o- over a team with a bunch of guys that can get up and down and play the way I want to play, but they don't have all-star talent. Like, you know, I don't think he would, you know, I don't think he would trade Rudy and Cat and and Nas for a whole bunch of running gun guards and wings that, you know, can score 130 points, but don't have all-star talent. And he said it, you know, he said, I've been on teams that score a lot of points and, and just try to win by outscoring. And quite honestly, that is not as fun because you never feel like you have control of the game. You always feel like you're just one cold streak away from losing. And when you have a defensive identity, you know that one, you can withstand a cold streak, but more importantly, when you're deep, when your identity is defense, then your offensive mentality becomes, okay, let's not mess up our defense. Right. So when a Utah jazz team gets boiling hot, like they were, I think they made 10, 12, three-pointers in the first half, you go into half with a lead. Why? Because you are staying the course offensively, knowing that that's allowing your defense to work, and this is the NBA, guys are going to make shots, but when guys stop making shots, they're in trouble. And we get to see, um, starting tomorrow, yeah, what you know they they played Denver they they won they played very good basketball and tomorrow is going to be another huge um test for them early early season mm-hmm. test you mm-hmm. know they were still a long ways away and got a long mm-hmm. season to go but um I think that this will be a good game really to test their defense to see just how much that number one defense stands against one of the best offenses in the in the league. And I'm going to push back on that a little bit. I think really it's going to be a game to test their offense. You know who's number two in the league in defense efficiency? <laughs> the Celtics? The Boston Celtics. <laughs> They're number two in the league in defensive rating. And Boston has more experience and is more comfortable playing against elite defense, I think, than the Wolves are experiencing comfortable playing against elite defense. And if Boston puts up a lot of points, it won't be because the Wolves can't defend them. 
it'll be because they get impatient offensively and allow Boston to control the game with their defense. And so, um, but what if, what if they come out and they give Boston fits offensively? What if their defense is just that good, that, if, that long? That's if, how they're playing. If they give Boston fits, well, I think the Wolves will be able to t- play defense against Boston. I really do. If they give Boston's defense fits, it'll be because they're being boring. It'll be because they are out-Bostoning Boston. Who beat Boston in the, in the Western Conference Finals last year? Denver. No. I mean, I'm sorry, Eastern, the Eastern yeah. Conference Finals last year. The Heat. The Heat. How did the Heat play? Slow and methodical. Methodical. Mm-hmm. They just keep and slowly that's, bludgeoning that's so, that's so you. so annoying and to play the, Right. And then in the fourth quarter, Jimmy Butler makes plays and they win mm-hmm. the game. If the Wolves play against Boston how they played against Utah, just a methodical bludgeoning, and then Anthony Edwards does what I've been saying on this podcast is important for Anthony Edwards to do, which is score 12 points or more in the fourth quarter. Be the best closer on the floor. Be a better closer than Jason Tatum for Boston. Then they'll win the game. But if they get impatient early, if they go on a run early and Anthony Edwards makes some shots early and they get excited early in ISO and they stop and they start going away from that methodical kind of get to the line, keep moving the ball, keep moving the bodies, be be unafraid to work the shot clock, just keep being physical. If they get away from that, Boston's gonna make a big run game, it's gonna be over. They have to stay the course consistently against Boston. And that's why I think tomorrow's game is a bigger challenge for the Wolves' offense than it is for their defense. Before the next thing, yo, Lloyd, did you put money on the Wolves against Denver like I told you? What did I say last <laughs> podcast? I guarantee the Wolves beat Denver. Not only did they beat them, they beat the brakes off of them boys. <laughs> Yeah, I get you. You missed it. I gave a Charles Barkley guarantee last yeah. pie last Sunday that the Wolves were going to beat Denver, regardless of what happened against Atlanta. Well, well, you want to do that again tomorrow? Because that'd be a beautiful sight. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be. It'll be. A, it's gonna be fun to watch them though. It's gonna be fun to see what type of mentality they come out with. Um, I think they understand who they're going up against and who Absolutely. they're going to play. Um, but I think they have the talent. I think they have the coaching. Um, and I, I personally stand on this team is going to go as far as Anthony Edwards does. Oh, I agree 100%. And the perfect storm for them tomorrow would be to win a two or three point game. That would be the perfect mm-hmm. storm, a game and, and a game that's, you know, in the, in between a hundred and 110, one, two point game, three point game a game that tests their resolve. It tests the process that they're going through. It tests their style and their identity. Yep. But they find a way to win it so that they can see that they believe if we just stay the course, our style works against anybody. Yep. And then they will be able to say, we beat both of the Eastern Conference Finals competitors last year. We beat the world champs already playing that methodical style. It's okay to be 24th in pace and number one in defense if we can get to number 10 in offense. And trusting each other. Yeah. Um, So last week to recap, 
the Atlanta game, we saw the best of what they could be and the worst of what they could be in one game. Mm-hmm. Then they come out in a Denver game in which, like I like I said on the podcast last week, I guarantee they were going to beat the Denver Nuggets for two reasons. One, Denver's just a bad matchup for the – I mean, the Wolves are just a bad matchup for Denver. Denver's going to beat a lot of teams. They're going to win a lot of games. They might even end up the number one seed again because I think they understand how important that was for their championship run. However, the Wolves – are a matchup nightmare for the Denver Nuggets. Mm-hmm. Then they go up against Utah in what I like to call a maturity game and play what I think was probably their most mature game because they got so much pushback from Utah in the first half, because Utah was on fire from three in the first half, because Utah's offensive players, Horton Tucker, uh, Colin Sexton had a brief moment in the first half. Jordan Clarkson always seems to give the Wolves fits. Um, and Laurie Markinen is just turning into a perennial all-star. Um, and Utah had it going offensively. They got guys that can just go get buckets. And they stayed the course. So now we come up tomorrow night. They got a Boston team that's on a mission. They are Phenomenal defensively. I mean, Derek White, Drew Holiday, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, like Porzingis, Horford. Horford's still with them, right? Or did he? I thought he's still with them. (laughs) Just keep going. (laughs) I don't know. Like, defensively, they can bring it. And that's why they're number two in the league. And then offensively, they got five guys out there at any given time that can give you a bucket. And they share the ball. They they I mean, they've made it to the Eastern Conference Finals for the past three years. They we know they know how to win. They know exactly who they are. They know how to win. Horford, right? So so your challenge is everyone has to be locked in on the defensive end of the floor at all times. And there's going to be times where you play great defense and they still won't get buckets yeah. because they're just that talented. So how can you do the same to them on the offensive end knowing that it's going to require offensive patience? That's going to be the challenge for the Wolves. Can they offensively stay patient because they're going to have to score a late shot clock? Let's watch tomorrow night's game and see how many, how many times the Wolves are forced into late shot clock and what they come up with late shot clock and how many buckets they get late shot clock because Boston's going to force them to play late shot clock. Um, And so we're going to see how mature they are, not from a standpoint of what is their mentality coming into the game, but how mature they are in their style that they need to play to beat a team like Boston because unlike Denver, they have some defensive advantages against Denver that Denver has problems with. They can put Jaden McDaniels on Jamal Murray and cut off the head of the snake and then just lock down and clamp on everywhere else. With Boston, you can't really like you can't really do that. Scores. Yeah. They 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 can hurt you at every position. Um, and they can stagger so many guys where they always have a couple of those key guys on the floor. So you don't get necessarily that Nas Reed advantage that you get when Nas comes in off the bench and it's just like, okay, who's going to match up with Nas on the other team's bench? Uh, nobody, <laughs> you know. So that'll be a good one. And then 
win or lose against Boston, you follow that up with a New Orleans Pelicans team that is, you know, here in comes Zion, you know, and Zion has obliterated the Wolves in the past. Mm -hmm. And he's a matchup nightmare. And do you guard Zion with Cat? Do you guard Zion with Rudy? Do you guard Zion with Jaden? If you do that, who do you guard Brandon Ingram with? You know, New Orleans is a problem. That's why they're where they are right now in the standings. And then just when you think you can come up from air, you got the alien in San Antonio for the first time. And right now, Victor's putting the whole league on notice. And quite honestly, I don't know how they're going to score against San Antonio because Victor doesn't have to leave the basket to guard Rudy. And Rudy's not going to beat him in isolation. So how does Ant score in the paint against Victor Weminyaba when Victor can roll free because you're not going to be able to lob over him? So a lot of them lobs to Rudy, you can throw that out the window because when Victor comes to help, how are you going to throw a lob over that? Well, I have a feeling if they don't have – if it doesn't work early, I, I see a lot of Nas reading that game. Because if if you, I mean, I mean, Victor is the answer to everything. <laughs> He's the answer to everybody. Yeah, but at least you got to get him out the paint at least four feet. I mean, he's still going to contest in from four feet outside the paint. But I mean, what you know? So you're saying that the Cat Nas pairing is going to be critical against the Spurs? I, I would say so. If 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 they are sitting on Rudy so far off, and you there's no point of having him in the game. You know, that's 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 a good, you know, we're two three games in advance, but that's that's a very good uh coach's um evaluation and that's something to look for in that game is do they go heavy cat and Nas pairing and more of a five out game and get him out of the paint so that Ant can put in work because having Rudy in the dunker spot is not going to work against Victor. Mm-hmm. That's not gonna work at all. Mike Conley is not gonna throw no lives <laughs> when Victor. Yeah, he's man. I, troll. Did you see the picture of uh, KD contesting the shot? He, he made KD look like a five eleven guard. Man, it's a it's a beautiful image. He's at the peak of his shot. KD's got a full extension, and he's still about two and a half feet underneath his. Look at this. There's video out of Victor giving Rudy the business when Victor was 15. Yeah, I saw <laughs> so, I've seen it. I don't think he's going to be dissuaded by Rudy Gobert. Yeah. But, you know, first things first, and first thing is Boston. Lance, it's been great to have you back. I feel like we could have this conversation forever. There's so much we really didn't even cover. Um, it's You know, we didn't talk much about the Denver game at all, but I'm not as gung-ho as everybody else was about the way they blew out Denver, because one, I saw it coming way before it happened. <laughs> Two, Denver's just, you know, the Wolves are a bad matchup for Denver. And um, like you said, it was their third third game in four, four nights. Four nights, right. Mm-hmm. And I'm very impressed with the Utah game because Utah gave them some elements that Atlanta gave them, and they responded very differently. Not only did they keep the lead, obviously that was different, but um, how they went about consistently playing those four mm-hmm. quarters I think was impressive. I mean, let's 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 be honest. Six of the last seven halves have been really, 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 really good. Mm-hmm. And the first half against Miami wasn't bad, you know. So you could you 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 could say that you know you got two good halves against Utah, two good halves against Denver, one good half against 
Atlanta. So that's five out of six. And then the second half of the Miami game. So, you know, we're talking about six of the last seven halves. And you yeah. can even say the first half against Miami, they went in with the lead. It wasn't horrible. Right. So you could really say seven of ten halves this season have been excellent. And their wins have been by, what, almost 15, over 15 points a game yeah. in their three wins? Well, we'll see what they play tomorrow. They play, uh, I believe, Wednesday. And yes, sir. Yeah, Wednesday. I'm going to the game against so New Orleans. And by next week, we'll have seen these three games and we'll get a real good idea of what these Timberwolves are going to look like and what they're capable of doing. Absolutely. And we'll get and we'll get a chance to really see what their offensive rating might look like for the rest of the season. Against quality teams. And, and we'll get a chance to really see, you know, how real their defense is um, because New Orleans can score, Boston can score. You know, and San Antonio is going to challenge your defense by challenging your offense. So we'll be back in a week to go over those three things because it's going to be a lot to talk about, that's for sure. Man. Uh, hopefully you've enjoyed our conversation. Lance Gardner, pr- proprietor of Yes Trees. The fall season is approaching, so if you need to get some trees taken. I mean, oh, we're in winter now. Oh, you're in winter now? Oh, no. Well, the winter season is approaching. Yeah, the fall winter season is approaching. We're in fall. So, so what's tree life like in the fall? Well, tell, tell me what type of things are you doing in the fall? Real quick, I mean, we're just, we're, we're Briefly. Customers think it's the best time to trim your trees in the fall. That's that's somewhat of a myth. Um, most trees can be trimmed any time of year, so we're we're really busy with trimming. Okay. Um, we prepare the winter for removals and such because the ground is frozen. There's snow on the ground, so right. we don't mess up homeowners' lawns while we do that stuff. So right now we're just in a lot of trimming. Um, just that's that's what the customers are are calling for right now. Mm-hmm. Um, saving some of the bigger jobs for winter time when we can do a little more um, damage to people's lawns without really doing any damage. Right. Um, and then you know we people do stop calling in the winter time, as I just stated. As a homeowner, it's the best time to get your tree work done. So um, if you don't want to worry about having divots or holes in your lawn or having to reseed or anything like that. Um, Get your trees done in the winter. And what's the uh, the uh, email and phone number that they can reach you at? Uh, phone number is 763-232-5165. And you can just Google us at Yes Trees. You'll find all our Facebook, website, Instagram, all that stuff. Yes Trees Tree Service. All right, my man. And I don't do anything with trees. I teach and coach. And basketball season is quickly approaching. I am Coach Frank. That's Lance Gardner. We got the super producer, Lloyd Leon Coop, over there on the camera and also on the audio. And a big shout out and thank you to uh, Markella and the Dream Shop, our new pod hosting location. We will be back at you next Sunday on Zoom and then back on location in two weeks. And the Dream Shop is 3701 Fremont. Come on in and check out the wonderful array of products that they have in here, mostly African-American products made by local Minnesotans. So please come on and check out the Dream Shop. I hope you like the decor in the background, the lighting, the whole nine. You've been tuned in to the Coach in the Culture podcast. We'll catch y'all next week after three more Wolves victories, hopefully. Peace. Peace.